Well, there is nothing like the people of God uh, singing all glory be to Christ um, because that is really our anthem as believers and that is uh, the really our life's work is to bring uh, glory to Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're finishing up our series in Unexpected uh, Christmas. And again, uh, hopefully you had a Merry Christmas. But I want to say, uh, if this Christmas wasn't um, Merry for you, for whatever reason God has brought you into a season where Christmas was difficult, um, I want to encourage you that he does know that. He knows uh, what's going on in your life. And um, as an encouragement to really all of us, whether we had a good Christmas or not, uh, Christmas is about Christ. Um, and that uh, fact, that truth, um, allows us to rejoice uh, and to be merry. But lean into Christ this Christmas, whether you had an enjoyable one or whether this one was difficult to. He knows uh, and he is there with you. But Luke chapter 2, um, we're going to be at the end of the section here talking about really uh, the only account that we have is Jesus as a boy. We, we have the account of Jesus as a baby uh, and obviously Jesus as a man. But for about, uh, after his eighth day, his ninth day being born until um, his uh, ministry as an adult around 30 years old, there's really nothing said about Jesus' life except for this passage. Um, And that has to perk up our ears, uh, uh, give us some excitement because of all the things uh, that we could hope to think or uh, that we would ponder. Maybe we ponder what Jesus was like as a boy, uh, how he played, what toys did he have, um, what was his favorite meal. Um, All of that is inconsequential to the fact that God has revealed this account to us. Uh, And it's actually the first words that we have Jesus speaking Um, And we see that as a a 12-year-old boy. Uh, So I'm going to read through this passage, and then we're just going to dive into it this morning. uh, And then we will hopefully see uh, the glorious Christ. I'm going to start reading in verse 39. And just the context, this is when he's in the temple. He's being presented. We've already seen Simeon uh, see uh, the baby Jesus. Uh, And then there's uh, Anna as well. Uh, And so in verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord uh, for the baby, the firstborn, they returned to Galilee into their own town of Nazareth. In verse 40, we have really from nine days old until um, about 12. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find them, They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And here we go. The first words of Christ, the only words of Christ as a child. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful account, this picture into the life of Christ as as a boy. Uh, Lord, this has extreme significance for us today. And I pray that you would use your spirit and your word uh, to speak clearly to us um, allow us to gain not only uh, the, the knowledge that we need from your word, but the understanding as we apply it to our lives, as we too are about our Father's business. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So some context here as we go through in verse 41. Every year his parents went down to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went to the feast according to the custom. What you need to know is that every year, uh, the Bible three times specifically says all Jewish males were to uh, go to Jerusalem for uh, these three required festivals. One, the most important one being Passover. Uh, and it was very uncommon, too, that um, women would come as well. And so this just speaks to the devotion of Jesus' parents and their, their devoutness and their uh, priority that they've given to God in obeying his commands uh, and his words. And so not just Joseph went up there, Mary went as well. And this was a, a, a highlight of uh, the Jewish religious tradition, the highlight of every family. And, and again, I'm going to give you just basic illustrations that don't really uh, comprehend what, what's going on here, but it's like if uh, when I was a child, we would make a regular trip to go to, to Disney World. And so we, we gathered in a caravan as a family, and we went and we celebrated uh, together. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a poor illustration in terms of significance, but I hope that it would help you uh, understand that this was a family thing that they would do. They would go and they would celebrate uh, together. And it says, um, this particular account was after um, when he was 12 years old. In verse 42, we see that he was 12 years old and they went to the feast according to the custom. And why 12? Why this account? Why this specific year? Why does God choose to reveal to us when Jesus was 12 years old uh, this account? Because from the, from the text, it's clear that they've been going to that uh, every year. And what you also need to know uh, is that at the age of 13, a Jewish boy would take their place in the religious um, culture of, uh, of Israel, of, of the Judaism. They would be, be, it would be like a becoming a man. He would be now responsible uh, to obey the law. Uh, we see this in modern, if you know any uh, Jewish families, uh, a bar mitzvah uh, is what they call it. It's a coming of age bar, uh, meaning son of, and then mitzvah is commandment. So it's they're uh, coming to the acknowledgement that they're going to be a part of religious community. Uh, they're going to be taking the things of God seriously, and this was kind of like his becoming a man. And what we also know too is that uh, it was suggested that fathers would kind of prep their sons in advance. And so this, no doubt, was um, Jesus's experience as he's uh, growing up as a boy, and his father is coming around him and teaching him uh, what he would be um, forever doing as a, a Jewish man. Uh, and so this is like uh, I can remember when I was a, a young lad, and I used to go hunting. Um, we would go out, uh, my family and I, and we'd go, uh, and we'd sit out in a cold shed for it seemed like an eternity uh, until a little Bambi kind of made its way in, in front of us, and uh, we would um, try to um, conquer that uh, ferocious wilderness animal. And I remember the first time and the only time that I was successful in that endeavor, um, you had to... Once you conquered the animal, you also had to um, do what follows. Um, 
which involve preparing the animal for what happened next. You know, it, it goes, for, it's not from farm to table. There's some things that you need to do in, inside there. Um, and so we had these big, long uh, plastic gloves. And I remember my grandfather cutting that open and we just kind of took out all of the, the good stuff or the bad stuff, I guess, um, and really got in there. And he showed me what to do if, Lord willing, I was more successful in the future days. Um, but no doubt Joseph was was there with Jesus and showing him uh, what the religious festival was all about. So they would go uh, to Jerusalem. They would be there. Um, this was a, a week celebration. And so, I mean, you figure they... Historians say there's over 200,000 people in Jerusalem at this time. So the place was packed. It was a walled city. Um, I did some research on Disneyland, and really the, the max capacity of Disneyland is about 100,000. So I remember as a boy, we went to um, Disney World for um, Christmas, but we actually went on Thanksgiving, and they shut the park down at like 8 a.m. because it was already full. So there's 100, and there were like people, it was like wall to wall. And that was only like half of the amount of people that were there in Jerusalem. So there's a hustle and bustle, and Jesus is with his father, Joseph, and they're, and they're walking through. Uh, and, Joseph, and Jesus, as a young boy, was familiar with the scriptures through the Old Testament. He knew his Bible, and he was captivated by the things of God as, as a boy. Um, and he went into bustling Jerusalem, and they would get to the, to the temple, and they would do barter, and they would buy and, and uh, haggle and really get that spot, spotless lamb uh, that they would use for Passover. And they would take that lamb, they would get that lamb, and they would go through the process of getting that lamb ready to be sacrificed. Uh, and then they would, they would kill it, uh, they would drain its blood, they would take its insides and put it in the altar uh, and do all of that. And then they would take that lamb home and carry that back to where they were staying. And they would cook it up and they would have it for the, the Passover meal. We did a Seder here uh, a couple years ago where we reenacted that meal, and we didn't have lamb. They would have had lamb. Uh, and so uh, it was probably historically as Jesus was preparing uh, to become a man that his dad gave him the honor of asking that question, really kicking off that celebration, and says, what's the difference of this night opposed to any other night? And then Joseph would no doubtedly go into the history of Israel, of God redeeming Israel from Egypt, uh, and then the Passover story there. And so Jesus was a part of this as a young boy, coming of age, and it captivated him. It captivated him. I, I can't really describe it, but it's like your greatest passion or something that you are just obsessed about, whether it's Star Wars or uh, Lord of the Rings or um, whatever. He was just so passionate. It just filled his mind and all. And again, the illustration is uh, lax in terms of what the things of God was, what Jesus was thinking about. But he was just so captivated and, and going to bed and, and thinking about all those things and, and connecting scripture to the lamb that was slain. And no doubt he knew that Isaiah uh, prophesied that, that the, the suffering servant would die uh, in his place. And just imagine all the things that Jesus was thinking about. And he was captivated. And it says, um, when the feast was over, some of your Bibles may say, in those days, there was a, it was a week-long thing. Um, they would go back to the city and just enjoy the celebration. It says, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. Again, he was captivated. He was swept up in the things of God in the festival. But they were unaware of it, the Bible says. This wasn't neglect on Joseph and Mary. I mean, if your son was perfect, faultlessly obeyed, was a perfect child. My parents have a, a slight idea of what this was like. 
Um, no, just kidding. But they, didn't, they, they knew Jesus was supposed to be where he was supposed to be. So it was probably one of those things where like, oh, Joseph was like, oh, he's probably with Mary. And Mary was like, oh, he's probably with Joseph or one of the cousins. And so it wasn't uncommon that they would travel together. You know, parents are, are nodding their heads, right? I've never lost a child. Um, I was a lost child once in Walmart. Um, that's why I don't serve in the nursery, just to keep all of the parents at ease. Um, but it wasn't a form of neglect. It was just that he was obedient, and so, of course, he would be where he was supposed to be. So thinking they, they left, they traveled a day's journey, and then they no doubtedly stopped altogether in the caravan, and then they began looking for him among the relatives and the friends. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. I don't know if any parents have lost children over the years. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, but you know the, the fear and the, the angst and the anxiety of your child being gone. I can't relate to you. I can relate to being lost as a child. Where's my parents? Like, okay, here, I'm going to go stay with, you know, my, my aunt or my uncle or whatever. But I was in Walmart and they did the whole thing, you know, uh, well, the parents of Scott Cleveland, please report to the aisle, what, you know, whatever. But if you've ever lost a child, you feel that, that anxiety. Where is he at? And they were a day's journey. They had no idea. And let alone their firstborn child, but the promised Messiah. Like the salvation of Israel. And Mary and Joseph are like, you got him. I got him. So you can feel the anticipation. You can feel just kind of their emotion as they begin looking for him. And then they go back to Jerusalem. And then after three days, it says they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And it says everyone who heard him was amazed. And Luke uses this word amazed only in terms of people being amazed at miraculous signs. Like Jesus healing the leper, they were amazed. It's just, a, it's just this, the sheer taking aback of who is this? It's a stirring of, of, of what's going on here. Here's a 12-year-old boy and he's dialoguing with prophets and teachers of the law and he's holding a conversation. It would be like if I got lost in Disneyland and my parents flew back or drove back to Pennsylvania and realized that I was gone. They would be worried, no doubt. Now, some of you may be like, okay, well, that's one child that we don't have to deal with. Uh, but even still, you would be, be worried. And, and then they would drive a day's journey back to Disneyland, and they see me in the boardroom of the CEOs talking about stocks and shares and how much income we have and sitting there asking questions. It's, and again, it's a poor illustration, but Jesus was engaging with religious doctors and the religious elite asking them questions, just so fascinated. And he was sitting there not teaching them at this moment, but just intrigued and asking questions. And, and what about this? And how does this scripture relate? And they were astonished. They were amazed at this miraculous encounter. And then we see Joseph and Mary catch up to Jesus. And when his parents saw him in verse 48, they were astonished. They were taken aback. They couldn't believe it. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? No doubt her, her angst and the turmoil that they were in, she, she undoubtedly assumed blame was Jesus. And we know that's not correct because Jesus is perfect. We've been anxiously searching for you. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. The word anxiously means like the gut-wrenching, causing pain. Literally, searching for you was causing us pain because you weren't there with us. And then we have these words of Jesus, the first words of Jesus ever spoken 
and the only words of Jesus as a child. And we're going to hone in on this. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50 says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So they ask, and Jesus asked with a gentle question, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? Now some of your uh, translations may have the word house in italics. That's because the word house isn't there. Uh, Really a better translation, if I think it's New King James, it would say, I need to be in my father's business or about my father's business. And the idea there is he needed to be in his father's things or wrapped up in the things of his father. It says that they did not understand what he was saying to them. Of course, Mary and Joseph knew what was prophesied about their son. They probably remembered the miraculous angelic encounter, but they still did not fully understand what Jesus meant by him claiming to be the son of God. And that's really the point of this text is that Jesus testified to be the son of God. And for some context here, Jesus knew his Old Testament. Of all of the Old Testament uh, words and phrases, uh, only 14, Father has only appeared 14 times. And in that, it's used of a general sense. Like God is the, the father of Abraham uh, or the father of the nation of Israel. It's, it's more generic. He's the father of the world. He's father of creation. And here Jesus is using a very personal, intimate term of father. It would be me saying, Kevin is my father. Not Alan is my father or Paul is my father, but Kevin is my father. It's that personal and he for the first time is claiming to be God's son. And he's doing that in front of the temple of God's house, which is why the translators use that word. But he's claiming and testifying to be God's son. See, Jesus as fully human, we often kind of think that Jesus at like two years old knew everything there was to know about everything because he was fully God. But that's not true. He was fully human, which means he developed as a child would. There are things that we can only understand as are we develop mentally and socially. And so this whole process was about Jesus coming in and learning that he was God's son. Although he was God's son, he grew into knowing that uh, through scripture and through the, just the divine work of God in his life. And so Jesus comes to the understanding and testifies to be God's son. And then he says, I had to be about my father's business. I have to be doing the things of my father. It was in that culture, it was the oldest born son took on the family business. There was no go to college and do whatever you want. It's you did your father's business and in a spiritual sense and in a divine sense, he knew that he needed to be about his father's business. And so this question that he asked is more of like a common knowledge it's a common knowledge question. So he's, he's expecting um, Mary and Joseph to know, I am the Messiah. I was born of a virgin. The angels testified to that prophecy as well. And I'm telling you that I am God's son. And that had major implications. The word there, some of your translations may say must. There's an urgency. There's a, a, a sense of purpose and passion that Jesus, as a result of being God's son, he had to be about his father's business or had to be in the things of his father. And yes, that included 
at the temple, learning at the temple, but everything he was to do was about his father's business. He understood that, he knew that, and it's that common knowledge that he's referring to, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house, about my father's business? It would be like someone asking you, Scott, what are you doing? And I would say, you know what I'm doing. I'm standing up here preaching. It's that common knowledge. And so as a boy, you see Jesus coming to the understanding that he was the son of God. And that had drastic impact on his purpose. It gave him his identity as the son of God. And he was about his father's business. This must be, it's a sense of not just duty, but delight. He didn't just have to be about his father's business because he was God's son, but he was delighted to do it. It was like, I have a duty to kiss my wife, but I also have a great delight in doing so. You know, if I asked my wife, must I kiss you every day? She would probably say, you must. And the right kind of must, right? Out of delight, not just duty. And this is the miraculous thing, the son of God, the the creator of the world, knowing that he was God's son and knowing that he was doing his father's business. This is what he does in response. This is what he does in response. Verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Or some of your Bibles may say was subject to them. This is an ongoing obedience. So when he left the temple, he went down to Galilee and was obedient and submissive to his parents, no doubt, obeying the law to honor your father and mother. And Mary, again, mother, treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. The word there, wisdom, is so Jesus grew uh, uh, mentally, he grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature physically, he grew in favor with God spiritually and with man socially. Uh, and so we see that for the rest of Jesus' life until his earthly ministry was characterized by submissiveness to two imperfect parents. But this is after he realized that he was God's son and after he realized that he must be about his father's business. And why the, the, that's a better translation is because God's business is not just in church or in the temple. God's business is all over the place. It's as you're going. It's as, you're, as he was going back and um, going back into the caravan and as he was learning in his father's shop and as he was being a, a brother and a son, he was obedient and submissive. He was doing his father's business. And he did his father's business for 33 more years, and then ultimately he was obedient to death, even the death on the cross. And it was because of Jesus' divine, fully God that he could take away our sin. He was perfect, but in humanity he was the substitute or he was the payment. He was that lamb that was shed for us. And because Jesus was submissive to his father's business, we have redemption we have the forgiveness of sin. So the fact that Jesus submitted to his father means that we too can believe and be saved. See, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. Paul says that Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on a cross. And he became our perfect lamb, our substitute, paid our sin, 
took care of our debt and made us right before God. And Paul says it this way in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. When we believe in Christ, when we accept Christ's gospel and the work that he did on the cross on our behalf, when we acknowledge that we are sinners and that we are evil by nature and we need rescuing and God was the author of that rescue and sent Jesus to be fully obedient, to be perfect, to live a perfect life so that he could die in our place for our sin, we can become children of God. And that makes us children of God and that makes God our Father. Not in the same sense of Jesus, that that paternal, but in a spiritual sense, God becomes our Father. And here's the thing, if we testify to be God's children, we must be about our Father's business. We must. There is an urgency, there is a purpose. See, God has given us a new identity as children of God and we must be about our Father's business. And that business includes submissive obedience. That includes submissive obedience. Children to our parents, older parents to our parents, but it requires submissive obedience. And see, we can do this. We're all about our own business, aren't we? Every day, all the day, 24-7, 365, we know how to be about business. And some of us know how to be about other people's business too, right? Brothers, sisters understand that. But we must, if we claim and testify to be children of God, we must be about our Father's business. And what is our Father's business? Well, over, there are over 1,050 commands from the New Testament. All you have to do is know what God says. You have to be in his word. You have to know what God requires as a child, not, again, just out of duty, but out of delight. First John says this, that this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who was born of God overcomes the world. As we learn to be about our Father's business. It's not just regulated to here on Sunday morning. It's constantly, it's all around. It's in our workplaces, it's in our schools, it's as we go to the grocery store, as we gather for family gatherings, as we do whatever, we must be about our Father's business and that does include gathering together for the teaching of God's word. But there are over 1,050 commands in the New Testament. Things to abstain from, idols, sexual immorality, evil. Things to ask for, ask and you shall receive. Ask for the life of a, a backslider. There are things to, be, things to be, like to be glad, to be reconciled, to be wise, to be ready for Christ's coming. Things to avoid, avoid the troublemakers, avoid profanity, avoid useless arguments. Things to endure, endure hardship and endure suffering. There are things to submit to, people to submit to, Fathers, mothers, others, rulers, pastors, brothers and sisters. 
And some of us, it's hard to be about our father's business because we don't know what our father's business is. We're so caught up in everything else and we as children of God, if we testify to be God's children, we must be about our father's business. We need to take the example of Christ and be submissive to God and his call on our lives. So what do we do? What do we need to do in light of Jesus as a, as a perfect child and then as a, as a fully grown man? What must we do? Well, if you are here and you are not one of God's children, if you do not know God, maybe you're watching online and you just happen to come across this and you are not God's children, you have not received faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, if God is drawing you, if God is convicting you, you need to accept the gift of a perfect Jesus who died for your sin. And then become a part of the family and be about your new father's business. And for those of us who are children of God, and if we testify to be God's children, we must be about our father's business. We need to remember that. We need to, to meditate on that. We need to gain strength from our identity as children of God because of what Christ has done for us. Like Christy said, nothing else matters. Any other identity does not matter. Any earthly identity. It doesn't matter that you're a, a son. It doesn't matter that you are a worker. It doesn't matter that you are a, a veteran, a retiree. It doesn't matter whatever your identity is. Your first and utmost identity, if you claim to be a, a child of God, is that, that you are God's child. And that must fuel your passion to be about your father's business, our father's business. We must. There is so much that God wants to do for his children, wants to do in the world, and we must be about it, and we can learn from Jesus. And in that submissiveness to our Father, verse 52, we too also can grow in wisdom, in stature, and we can grow in favor with God. And see, God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. And as we obey God, as we uh, seek him in his word and pray and meditate, he blesses us. And it allows the Spirit to control our lives so that we can gain favor with man. So that we can gain favor with man. And there's nothing like, um, you know, you can, all, you can gain favor with, with men, I guess, in a variety of ways. Um, by, by being nice or being kind or, or helping someone out. But there's nothing like gaining favor with someone and having the ability to lead them to the Lord and gaining favor of uh, sharing the gospel with someone. I think of someone that I was talking to recently that led someone to the Lord and how that individual must feel the favor that he must have for this guy that led him to the Lord. And how much more favor would we want with someone to know that we have introduced them to Jesus. And so why do we need to be about our Father's business? Why do we do that? Because the truth of Christ's perfect humanity and divinity demands it. Because of who Christ is and what he's done demands our obedience. And we can walk in that. 
And so when we, when we don't obey our Father, when we're not about this, this is a classic tension that we have of, of doing my business versus doing my Father's business. And we struggle and we fail and we wrestle with it. We will, but there is grace. But we can do that because of what Christ has done. And to increase with favor in God and man, we always want to increase in favor with God. We want to be right with God, restored with God. And as a child of God, to increase in favor with God and man requires a submissiveness that's rooted in our identity as children of God through a purpose to be about our Father's business. And it's uh, miraculous, and again, I'm not going to be able to to fully communicate to you the, the depth of this passage, I would encourage you to read this. Uh, you could probably read this every single day this week um, and still glean, glean from it. Um, that's just the magnificent thing about the Bible is that we can keep learning and keep growing and knowing what our God wants us to do. See, not only does our life depend on it, our earthly life, our eternal life, but also the lives of others. The spiritual life of others depends on the graciousness of God in delivering us from sin, but also he chooses to use us in our obedience to our Father's business. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus and his perfect humanity. And as he grew and developed as a boy and came to the knowledge of the fact that he was your son and we have this account in scripture where he testifies to be your son. We've seen a lot of people throughout the Christmas story testify to that, Lord, but we have here Jesus testifying to that himself. And so I ask that as we, we go from here that the reality of, of Christ's identity as the son of God and his purpose to be obedient to you, ultimately to the cross, Lord, would, would change our lives. And though for those who are still under God's wrath because of sin, I ask that you would stir their heart, convict them, that they would experience the joy that comes through forgiveness of sins. And then for the rest of us, the rest of us who are a part of God's family, Lord, I just ask and pray that you would make us desiring to be about your business. Lord, there's no greater joy, there's no greater purpose in life to be doing the things that you want us to do and, and the blessing that comes from obedience. So I ask that for all of us here at Heritage and for the friends of us who are visiting, I ask that we would continually be reminded to be about your business, not just on Sundays, but on Mondays and Tuesdays and so on. And Lord, I ask that we would be obedient children, not just out of duty because of the, the identity that you've given us, but as a delight because we love you, our Father. Thank you for your word, and thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Well, enjoy your day, whether you're headed to Florida to enjoy the sunshine, or you're headed back to um, time with your family. I trust that you would be about our Father's business.